a baby. <laughs> Whatever I ate was what you wanted to eat. When I slept was when you slept. When I woke up, you wanted to wake up too. Is it because you want to copy me? Remember when I cried because that boy didn't want to play with me? You cried too, and you weren't even there. But when I laugh, you like to laugh. Even when I have homework, you do homework. You aren't even in school, Mom. When I want to ride my bike, you always want to ride your bike, even though you go kind of slow. Remember when I broke my arm? You said it broke your heart. See, we both broke something. When I get sleepy at night, you seem sleepy too. And when I get in bed, you always want to say prayers with me. And then you want to scratch my back. When you leave, you go get in your bed too. Mom, I'm starting to think you want to be just like me. Because you always do things I do. But it's okay, because I like it. Happy Mother's Day, or Happy Mother and Son's Day, in case you want to share that too. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> that, that video is great because it's a fun and lighthearted way to show something that I think is also extremely powerful. A mother's example and a mother's sacrifice. Isn't it funny how he says, like, you know, when, when I go to bed, then you go and get in your bed. Yeah, if only. <laughs> what we'd like to do, right? And how that perspective is. But the truth is that this is an opportunity for us, even though this is and potentially can be a very difficult day for some of us. It is also an opportunity for us to honor mothers and daughters here today. And as uh, my mother and my wife uh, so eloquently said earlier, um, that we want to honor all ladies here today. And so I can think of no better way to do that than other than to pray for all of us and pray specifically for mothers today. So as we begin, and before we jump into the message, would you just join me in prayer as we pray for ladies everywhere. God, I thank you for Mother's Day. I thank you for mothers and motherhood. I think of the incredible influence and impact that my mother has had on me and my wife has had on her, uh, on our children and, and the kids that we have and, and just all the influence that we have. But God, more than anything today, I, I think I would just like to pray for one very specific thing, that today on Mother's Day and every day going forward, that you would help all ladies to understand and to experience and to know their intrinsic and great value. Not just because they are mothers, not just because of motherhood, but because of who you have made them to be, to be unique 
and amazing and special. I pray that they would feel their worth today. And may you help them to realize their great potential and the great influence that they have and that they can have in their life and with the people around them. I pray that they would know how much greatness and how much good they can do and how much they have done. And we pray this and we ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, today as we celebrate Mother's Day, uh, we are going to just simply continue on in our series called Tandem. And uh, we've had this tandem bike up here the last several weeks and we have a few more weeks to go of it. Uh, But very simply, this tandem bike reminds you and I of how God made us to be, how he made you and I as human beings to be, and and how he's created us to do life. So if you look at the bike, you can see that the bike has two seats, and there's a reason for that, and that is because God created you, every single one of us, he's created us to do life with him. In fact, we just sang a new song just a, a couple of minutes ago, that, that love that talked about his love being fierce and love being like a hurricane, and his love is relentless. A lot of people, they don't necessarily believe that. They don't believe that God pursues them, but I'm here to tell you that that's a lie and that they don't actually get it. That the truth is that God's love is absolutely fierce that it is relentless and that he will pursue you. He will chase you down. Some of you, they maybe that scared you that we're saying that. He will chase you down. He will seek you out. And the reason is because he wants you to join him on the bike. He wants you to join him on the bike. He wants you to pedal. He wants you to be a part of what he is doing in your life and through your life. But he also wants us to know, and, and we need to know and understand, that if we join him on the bike, when we give our life to Jesus and we join him on the bike in life, he also wants you to know that there's a certain seat on the bike that is for us, and there's a certain seat that's for God. The second seat is ours. The first seat is God's. And the reason for that is because the front seat is the one that actually steers the bike guides the direction and the purpose of our life. And so even though he wants us to be a part of that, he also wants us to understand that he wants to lead and guide and direct us and that we are right behind him, pedaling and joining him in everything that he wants us to do. But he wants us to be a part and he wants us to follow him. And so today we've got a topic that kind of talks about the position of the seats. Today we're going to talk about this tendency, this problem that we have as human beings. I have it too, very much so. I'll share a couple of examples, in fact, today, of the fact that we like to switch seats with God. We like to change seats with God. We like to put God in the back, and we like to take that front seat, and we like to steer the bike. I don't know about you, but I like control. In fact, the two words that we're going to talk about a lot today are control and trust. Two words that really are opposites. The more I want to control things, the less I trust. The more I trust, the more I release and surrender control. Isn't that true? And so we're going to talk about the two key issues, which is trust and control. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Do not depend on your own control or taking the front seat. 
Seek God's will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. He will guide the bike. But let's be honest here this morning. Trust is not an easy thing to do, is it? Trust is just not an easy thing to do. I sometimes have a hard time trusting. In fact, let me kind of give you an example. Uh, A few years ago, my extended family, my entire extended family on my mother's side, decided that we were going to spend a few days together in the Appalachian Mountains together. So we literally booked a cabin that was big enough for more than 40 people because there's more than 40 of us on that side. We're talking aunts, uncles, cousins, grandpa, I mean everybody, right? Second cousins, everybody, okay? So there's more than 40 of us and we all go into the cabin and the reason we survived that experience is because we each had our own bedrooms and bathrooms, all right? That's is, that is key, right? Because some of you are thinking, wow, that sounds like uh, torture. <laughs> I get it, all right? But we had a blast. We really did. And one of the things that we did while we were in the mountains that week that we decided that we were going to do is one of my cousins worked for a whitewater rafting company in the mountains in that area. And so we decided that we were going to go on a whitewater rafting adventure trip, right? Where you have the guides and everything, but you paddle along and do all this kind of stuff. And only about 20 of the 40 people went on this thing because well, you know, some of them physically couldn't do it, but a lot of them, they say, I don't want nothing to do with that. Some of you are with them on that, right? You're like, I want nothing to do with that. So we all, uh, the 20 of us that wanted to go or so, I don't know, there's like maybe 21 or 22, I don't know. However many we got in these, you know, the cars, went there and then hopped in these buses to go uh, get in these rafts. And so we had to decide, the company had asked us, we have to decide who's going in which raft. Now, I want to see if this is true of your family. This is true of our family. We have a few people in our extended family that I would lovingly call the crazies. Very lovingly, I call them this, the crazies, all right? These are the people in our family who they tend to enjoy destruction. They they, they kind of tend to enjoy danger, They kind of get themselves into situations. It's clear to us that they actually enjoy emergency room visits. Like that's something that's fun for them, clearly, because they do it a lot, all right? So there's a few in our family that are considered the crazies, all right? And then there's everybody else, the ones who enjoy adventure. We want to try to take risks and do these fun things, but I'd rather not flip out of the raft. I'd really like to stay in it because it is whitewater, right? And so we we have this conversation, and and the truth is, what we decided, which I think was wise, is we decided to put all the crazies in the same raft. (laughs) Have your crazy danger fun, right? And then everybody else, who we're still somewhat thrill seekers, including myself, I still want to to enjoy the whitewater rafting trip, but I want to stay in the raft. I want to enjoy the whitewater from on top of the whitewater, Right? I mean, there's a propensity to fall off anyway, as it is. And so actually here, we have a picture. Here's the picture. This is, these are the normal people, just so that you know. That's me in the blue shirt. These are the normal ones in our family. All right? And and so this is the safe one. We didn't flip. We didn't do anything crazy. This next picture, these are the crazies in my family. All right? This includes my little brother, by the way. He's he's four years younger than me. He's in there. He's actually uh, in the front on the left there. All right? So these are the crazies. These are the ones that, man, you know, they're going to try to flip the raft. They're just going to try to do, do something stupid, right? That's just what they're going to do. 
So the, the, que- the reason I bring this up, though, is this. Why did we have such a hard time with that conversation, and why was it so important for us to decide who's going in which raft? The key word to that is what? Trust. Isn't it? We, there's no way that we knew that we could trust that second picture group of people in my family. I can tell you, I've been in stuff with my brother. If there's a tree, we're going to hit it. If the thing goes faster, we're going faster. If it, uh, if it has a regulator, we're finding it so we can break it so that we can do more than that says, right? I mean, that's just what he does. That's what this group of people do. And so we could not trust what they were going to do. Well, the same is hard for us when we jump on the bike with God. The same tendency is there. Not because God is reckless, not because God is crazy, but because God knows, but we have a hard time releasing that control. How many of you would hop on a tandem bike with somebody on the front that you didn't know? Most of us wouldn't. You have to trust that that person is not going to tip you over, that they know how to ride a bike, that they know what speed to go, that they know where the bike should go. It'd be hard for us to jump on and trust a person to take the front of that bike from us. Well, the same thing is true of us and God. And so the trust is one of the key issues. But Jesus is a great example to us. In fact, I want to share with you what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, starting with verse 5. Listen to what it says about Jesus. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's talking to followers of Jesus. So you and I, if we're followers of Christ, these are words for us. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, or in other words, the front seat to take or to control. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, or as a result, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the place above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So very simply, there's a lot to take in, a lot of words, but what is that saying? Very simply, what that is saying is Jesus was willing and humble enough to take the second seat. Isn't that what that was saying? Really? Jesus said, it says that Jesus willingly and humbly accepted the second seat to die on a cross because that was God's will for him. He willingly took that. And this is the same attitude, the same mindset, the same view that we need to have of our life when we jump on the bike with God. It's not that, hey God, I've got this, let me show you where we're going. But for us to be back and to be part of it, we're on the bike, we're pedaling, we're with him. But that God directs and shows us where to go. But the truth is, we have to be one of these examples. In fact, if you answer the question, Uh, or or ask the question, what is the most important aspect of making sure that we stay in the second seat on the tandem bicycle? I would say that one of the most important pieces of this is that God tells us, commands us, to be an example for others. In fact, let me show you a picture. I have this picture of this uh, quad tandem bike and family. And by the way, whenever you ride a bike with your family, you should have matching outfits, just so that you know. (laughs) 
And they should definitely be spandex, tight spandex. I'm just kidding, all right? Anyway, this is the best picture I could find, all right? That's basically what it comes down to. So, but if you look at this, this kind of gives you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Now, this has a family on it, but if you were looked, to look at this bike just with the four seats, the front seat that directs the bike is where God is, okay? That's where God would sit. If we're talking about our lives, that's where God sits. Followed by you and I, or, or parents, or grandparents, or whoever's the leader in the household, and then followed by whoever else, the children, okay? So in other words, how it should look in our life is that you and I should follow faithfully, follow Christ, and then whoever is following, trying to follow Christ, would follow us because we're following Christ. In other words, we are showing them the way. We're not telling them, just telling them the way. We're showing them what it looks like to live our life faithfully surrendered to Christ. This is how it looks to ride in the second seat behind God. Let me show you what it looks like. And we live that way. It's an example. But I don't know about you, but I sometimes slip in my example. I'm not always perfect. Lord, last week said an amen to those kinds of comments for me. I'm not perfect. And what I find is that my example of staying in the second seat, sometimes I take the front seat. Truly, I do. And I know I shouldn't, but I sometimes do. In fact, let me give you an example. There are times, there have been times, it doesn't happen all the time, maybe not even often, but it has happened more than once, for sure. And I've been uh, in the midst of disciplining or reprimanding my children, one of my children, uh, one of my two sons or my daughter. And, and, and I have to reprimand them th on this uh, quite often. And, and so maybe they said something to their brother or their sister. Uh, maybe the words were wrong. Maybe they said okay words, but they said them in the wrong way. You know what I'm talking about? Like harsh words, okay? Because it not only matters what you say, it matters how you say it, right? If I say, honey, I love you, then she's going to believe that. If I say, yeah, I love you too, turn on the football game again probably not going to come across the same way, right? Same words, but how you say something and what you say both matter. And so I might be in the, in the midst of disciplining, reprimanding my children for something bad or harsh that they said toward, you know, their sibling, their brother or sister. And what has happened sometimes is God has convicted me right in the moment, right in the middle. I love that, by the way, when I'm disciplining my children. And he helps me to realize that what they just did and how they said that, they learned from me. They learned from me. God has done this to me many times. Where he said, yeah, but they, they learned that from you. They're doing that because they've seen you do that. And I have to pause in those moments, even though I don't want to, and I have to humbly submit and and apologize to my kids and tell them, you know what? You've seen me do this sometimes, which was wrong. I've taken the front seat. And I was harsh towards you. Or I was harsh towards Laura, your mom. And I shouldn't have been. And so I'm apologizing to you for giving you a bad example. Because that's, that's not right for me to do. And, and I don't know about you, but I tend to slip in three different ways, especially in my words, but, but in also my example and my actions in three different seasons in my life. Usually, one, when I'm in a hurry. Some of you can relate to this. When I'm in a hurry, I get harsh. 
because I'm worried about getting to wherever we're going. And so I get snippy. You guys ever get snippy? I get snippy. Hey, when I'm stressed about something in life, maybe work is overwhelming, maybe something just happened, maybe I got a call that just threw my day or my week into a tizzy and I had the plan and now God is changing the plan. He says, I'm in the front seat, get to the back, let's go. And I'm all stressed and I'm overwhelmed. And so when I do that, my example kind of goes out the window sometimes. And you know, another time, and maybe you can relate to this, other times that I kind of get harsh with my kids especially is sometimes when I'm worrying about how other people are perceiving me and our family. I'm worried about keeping up appearances. Sometimes I get harsh with my kids because I think that they're doing something that I don't think looks right to other people. <clears throat> and my example slips. Well, the truth is that God calls you and I to be examples for Christ so that other people can follow our example. In fact, when I was a children's ministry pastor uh, in the, the church in North Dakota before we came here, uh, I was in charge of the children's ministry, and the verse that I chose for our theme verse in the children's ministry uh, when we were there in North Dakota was 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And I want to read it. This is actually in the NIV version, the New International Version. But listen to what it says. This is the Apostle Paul writing. So Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I'm going to do my best to follow Jesus. I'm going to do my best to be in that second seat and follow God faithfully. And then you can follow what I do. And the reason I did that in our children's ministry is because I wanted to, our, our teachers and our volunteers, and I wanted all the children that were a part of that children's ministry, I wanted them to understand that the main thing that they need to be focused on or they need to be worried about was not so much, you know, following all the rules and doing this right and not doing this and doing this this way and all that, the rituals and all that stuff. What I wanted them to catch is that their main goal is to make sure that they're following God faithfully and being the right example to themselves and to others. And then everything else kind of falls under that. If you're following Jesus faithfully, then the kids, they're going to honor their father and their mother. They're going to respect them. Because Jesus says that. That's like one of the Ten Commandments. Right? If, if they're following Jesus, it's not gonna, they're not going to have to try to serve other people and humbly submit to other people because that's what Jesus tells them to do and helps us do. When I'm surrendered to God, I'm where I need to be. It's when I get hurried and stressed and worry about what everybody else thinks about me and my appearance that I start to get off. And so Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In fact, this whole idea of being an example for Christ in this world is all throughout the Bible, from front to back. We could spend the rest of the day just talking about all the examples, but let me give you three really quick. Jesus, in John chapter 13, is washing the disciples' feet. I preached on this just a few weeks ago, didn't I? He washes the disciples' feet, and then he goes back, and this is what he says. Verse 12, After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I've shown you the example to follow. In other words, you ought to do the same. You ought to wash each other's feet. 
And then he explicitly says this. Jesus says this out loud to them and says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. In fact, just a few verses later, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I, wanna, I don't know if you caught that last line, that last verse. Look at it. Look at what it says. It says, your love for one another will what? Will prove that you are my disciples. If I were just to get really honest for a moment and dig in for just a second, the truth is, I don't know that there's a lot of people that know Jesus and know what Jesus looks like and know who God is. And I think that a part of that reason is because I don't know how well we're loving each other. I think we miss this command from Jesus to be a healthy example. I know I do sometimes. I think that when people see other people who are followers of Christ, they tend to see the people who are the outspoken, hate-filled ones. You know what I'm talking about. The ones who get the airtime. The ones, the ones who are the loudest shouters. The ones who say, hate this, don't do this, we're against these people, we're, you know, whatever the case is. And what we have not done is I don't think that we have been loud enough with our lives, with our actions, to show them, hey, this is how well we are called to love each other. This is who the real Jesus is. This is what God calls us to be. Right? Because your love, our love for each other will prove that we are his disciples. It's an example thing. In fact, let me give you one more example of this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus' words, he says this. You guys have heard this before. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Have you heard that before? Oh, yeah. Everybody's heard that, regardless of whether they've even heard of the Bible before or not. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's how we usually hear it. That's the King James Version, right? Because we like the word unto, right, all the time, so much. But this is very simply, what is this saying? And it says right here, it says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This is the essence of everything that is taught. And what do we call this? You guys know what we call this, right? Called the golden rule, right? We call this the golden rule. And, and, and we teach this to our kids and we all know this, but here's the deal. Do we live it? Do we live according to this? Because what this is saying is very simple. Be the example of what you want others to be. That's all the golden rule says. That's literally all it means. Be the example of what you know you want others to be. Be it. Don't tell them to do it. Don't, when, when your kids do wrong or when I mess up, don't say, hey, golden rule. You treat others like you should be treated. Should you tell them? Sure. I'm not saying that. Trust me. I'm going to remind my kids probably several times this week of golden rule. 
right? But what I'm saying is the far more powerful influence that we can have as dads, as mothers, as sons, as daughters, as friends, as co-workers, the far greater influence that we can have is to show them what it looks like to live the golden rule, right? Show them what this looks like to follow Christ. But the truth is, again, control is an issue, isn't it? I like control. And the truth is that if you look at the world and you look at your own life, there are some pathways in your life, whether or not we'd say they were caused by God or God allowed them to happen or what, whatever the case is, right? There are a lot of paths that we would not choose. And I get that. I, I totally get that. I walk very closely with people all the time, almost daily are going through a path that they did not want, that they did not choose. And so when it comes down to control, we have a hard time with surrender because we have to trust that God is good and that he has our best. Let me give you an example from our own life, Laura and I's life. So my firstborn son, Jackson, uh, he's our oldest. Um, he's here in the room with us today. But uh, my oldest son, Jackson, was born with a submucous cleft palate. So what that means is uh, that the muscle that grows in the over the roof of your mouth, um, normally it's supposed to grow across and connect like this. And it's a muscle that closes the airway when you make all the sounds of speech. So you absolutely have to have this without the, without the palate. You cannot make the sounds that you make when you speak. Okay? And I didn't know any of these things until Jackson was born and, still, and we learned all this stuff. All right? But the palate closes it off. So when I say the t, the t, or the k, or the s, or any of those hard consonant sounds or any of those hard sounds, their palate has to exist and has to operate correctly in order for you to do that. Without it, you cannot do it. The air, instead of coming out here, it will pass up and through your nose and, and filter out other ways. Okay? So you have to have that muscle that closes your mouth to do all the words that I'm saying right now. Okay? So his, he was born with muscles that grew forward, and so there's this huge gap. There's no way for him to close his mouth when he's trying to make those sounds. Okay? Now, we didn't discover this when he was born. We didn't discover it until we moved here to Wisconsin until he was three years old, and we went to the children's hospital, and the chair of the department took three minutes, literally. Laura walked in. And Jackson started talking, and the doctor came in and said, oh, yeah, Mom, I can tell you exactly what the problem is. Laura and I have been asking for three years what the problem was. And we'd been poo-pooed. No, it's your first child. It was our first child. So you, yeah, he'll grow out. Of, he'll be fine. And we're like, doesn't seem quite right. Three years, in three minutes, she walks in and says, yeah, Mom, here it is. This is the problem. Something you can cleft palate. We need to do surgery. Done. Right? And so we scheduled surgery. He had something called a Z-plasty done, more than you guys ever wanted to know about my medical history in our family, right? He had a Z-plasty done, which basically just stitches the, it takes the, the, the muscles and pulls the palate together and makes it where it's supposed to be. That's what it is. And so he has this surgery done when he's three years old. Fast forward, and there's a reason I'm telling you this. The truth is, Laura and I, if we were on the front of the bike, I can tell you that we would not have chosen that for our family or for our son. 
No way. Right? We're not going to choose that. Right? And go through all the list of things and be like, yeah, hmm. Yeah, I think, yes, we'll take the submucous cleft palate, please. That'd be great. Right? We, we just, we wouldn't do that. Why would we choose that path? We're not going to. And I'm not saying God caused that path, by the way. Don't go down that road. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, we wouldn't have chosen the path. Okay? Regardless of how all this works out. Here's what I know, though. Here's what I know. I know what happened as a result of Jackson having a submucous cleft palate. So fast forward another year after his surgery. So Jackson is currently doing speech therapy with a speech therapist uh, once a week at the Children's Hospital and then another time with a different speech therapist through the school uh, uh, system in Wanakee. All right, so two times a week he's doing speech therapy, one with this one in Children's Hospital, one at the schools, okay? So we get into what is called 4K, which is simply 40-year-old kindergarten, right? It's the year of school before. I'm learn, I've learned all this when I had kids. I was like, what is 4K? And why are we signing him up? What is this? Right? But it's 40-year-old kindergarten. It's what they do before they go to kindergarten. So he goes in to, to this 4K program in, in, uh, before kindergarten. And, uh, and he goes in, and the, the gal that's teaching his class, her name is Yvonne Ziegler. And let me just tell you, it's, it's going to, I'll struggle a little bit maybe to get through this. Yvonne Ziegler is one of those people, uh, she's just, she's just amazing. She has since passed, tragically, um, way before her time, very young. Um, but she made a huge impact on us. So let me just tell you the story. So Jackson gets into 4K. And he's doing speech therapy with two different speech pathologists twice a week. And so uh, because of that, and also because Jackson, he's here, he knows this, he's all boy. <laughs> he is all boy, all in, all right? He's, he's one of those. And so if you get my meaning, Laura and Mrs. Ziegler, they had a very close relationship. They communicated fairly often, okay? You can understand, all right? And so we had, we had uh, but honestly, this is kind of one of those things where Jackson is one of those people who he says what he thinks, right? You don't have to wonder. And by the way, Mrs. Ziegler was one of those people who says what she thought. <laughs> and you know what? We, we love that and appreciate about it here. And I think that that's why her and Jackson got each other so well. They just got each other. She got him like very few people do. And so he goes into the classroom and Laura starts establishing this relationship and, and we realize this is going, you know, this is pretty good stuff. And, and then we get to three, two to three months in and we have our first parent-teacher conference with Mrs. Ziegler. But also because of Jackson's speech stuff, he has another speech pathologist that has to come in and meet with us as well so that, you know, we, we can make sure, do you have any concerns about how he's talking? Okay, do you understand? And Mrs. Ziegler and speech pathologist said, well, maybe we can try these things. So that's why she's there. So it's Laura and I, Mrs. Ziegler, and the speech pathologist. Well, the other thing that's happening at this same year is that Northridge Church has just started. Right? This is in the midst of all of that. <laughs> we, our lives were a little bit like, all the time. All right? And so Northridge Church is just in its first year. Jackson's doing this, 4K, all this stuff. And we're at this parent-teacher conference. And the speech pathologist, just in the midst of conversation, as we're talking about Jackson doing all these things, she asks a very nice, polite question, really just to be nice because she didn't go to church anywhere. But she knew Laura and I and what we were doing because she'd gotten to know Jackson. And so she said, hey, how's the church going? Let me just backtrack and tell you something else. 
not every day, but a, a lot. When they go out for recess, Jackson, because of the strong little person that he is, he would take Mrs. Ziegler over to the fence, and they'd point over to this building, to the village center, and he'd say, hey, Mrs. Ziegler, that's my church. <laughs> and I'm sure she's looking, going, there's no church. Right? I mean, let's be honest. She works with 40-year-olds all day, so she hears things like, hey, Mrs. Ziggler, I rode a purple unicorn this weekend. Awesome. That's great, right? And so I'm sure just kind of cast it off as like, okay, Jackson, very cool. What church is he talking about? Right? So now fast forward to the parent-teacher conference, and the speech pathologist says, hey, how's the church doing? And I kid you not, Yvonne Ziegler looks at me like this, jaw open, and goes, you're a pastor? Again, no filter for her. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> I am, I know. I don't look it, I'm sorry, you know. Yes, I'm a pastor. And then we went into this field, this is what it is. Yes, we actually need to do this. like, Jackson's been telling me that. And I'll, it began a long process. From then on, the relationship that Laura and I had was already started because of Laura and her talking, but that, that relationship went to a whole nother level. She started asking questions about God and about faith, about the Bible. She started coming to Northridge, and she invited everybody that's breathing. I kid you not. After she passed the following year, tragically, I met every, almost everybody, actually everybody I met that knew her, when I'd introduce myself, she'd say, oh, you're the guy. You're, we're supposed to go to your church. She said, she told us to. And, and if you know Yvonne, she also didn't ask. She's like, you know, you're coming. Like, let's go. Right? That's just how she rolls. Let me just tell you this. If Laura and I were in control of our own life, we would miss those things all the time. In fact, can I tell you that there are dozens and dozens of people that would have completely missed Northridge. If it hadn't been for Jackson with a sub-nucleus cleft palate and a speech pathologist who asked a very polite question one day during the parent teacher. In fact, I didn't tell this to first service, but just this past fall, a few months ago, I had the honor and privilege of officiating one of her daughter's weddings. It's come full circle, and it will continue. See, when we try to control our life, we don't know what we're missing. That's the danger. That's the danger. God knows the hills and the turns and the curves and the speed bumps and the canyons and the barriers and the great things, and he knows the great things when you get off the path and, hey, go down this way. There's something awesome down here that you will miss if you keep flying on by. so I have a very simple question for you here today. Whether you're a mom or a dad, a daughter, a son, whether you're the youngest person here or the person who just retired.